Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on the few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching people. This is the word of the Lord. We're really a people that like success, and we're a people that like wins, so to speak, and acceptance. Um, A couple impressive winning streaks that I uh, looked up this week as I was thinking about our passage in, uh, or between the years of 1985 and 1994, the Miami Hurricanes won 58 straight games before they lost in 1994, I think in either the first or second week of that season, to Washington, 38-20. to See old Dennis Erickson up there. Maybe baseball, some streaks as well. In, in 1978 and in 1988, the Boston Red Sox and the Pittsburgh Pirates, respectively, each won 24 straight home games before losing the 25th. And that's, I think, pretty impressive given a 162-game season. Then you can look at old Steph Curry down there. Uh, The Golden State Warriors from 2014 to 2016 won 58 straight games at home as well before they lost to the Boston Celtics on April's Fool's Day out of all days. But this one is the most impressive, I think. You can see old Adolph Rupp, Kentucky basketball coach down there. Kentucky Wildcats from 1943 to 1955 won 129 straight home games. 129. Uh, That spanned the... (laughs) What was that? Amen. Amen. There you go. (laughs) Captain Markham back there, giving a big amen back there. Um, 129 straight. And if we know a little bit of our history... um, that spanned uh, three presidents. That spanned President Eisenhower, President Truman, and um, uh, who am I missing? Eisenhower Roosevelt, and Roosevelt, excuse me, yeah, the, the very first one there. Roosevelt, Truman, and Eisenhower were a people who like winning, we like success, and we like acceptance. And I bet if you asked these teams, whether or not they were going to lose that 59th straight game or that 130th home game or even that 25th home game, again, in the season of 162, they would have said, well, of course not. We've won this many, and isn't the old added success breeds success? Um, You know, they, they wouldn't have thought that that was going to be the time, that was going to be the day that they would lose. 
I think this morning as we look at our our text and and think about Mark's gospel in, in general, it might appear at first glance that there's not a whole lot of success or there's not a whole lot of winning here. Um, but it would, might seem that way if we've been keeping up with Mark's gospel. Um, you know, Jesus would seemingly be this hometown hero. As we talked about a few weeks ago, he healed the man with the unclean spirit. He healed a leper in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 2, he healed the paralytic who was lowered through the roof of the house. Healed him. And then in Mark chapter 4, he starts teaching in these amazing and authoritative parables, something, a way that everyone could, could connect with and, and understand. And then maybe best of all, in Mark chapter 5, he heals the woman who's been bleeding for years, and he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. But then it's time to go to Nazareth. It's time to go back home. But Mark also reveals the truth, too, that there's some tension building. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus' family tries to rein him in. <laughs> they think he's gone a little bit off his rocker, that he's, he's a little crazy teaching and doing all these authoritative things, doing these miracles. And then it's a few verses later that Jesus describes who his true family really is, ones who do the will of his Father in heaven. And then we might also be familiar in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, where Jesus stands up in the synagogue. He unrolls the prophet uh, Isaiah, the scroll, uh, chapter 61, and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach good news, to heal, and to do wonderful things. And then he reminds them, Oh, yeah, this... The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He calmly sits back down. And the people didn't really like that. So we already see that there's kind of this, this success on the one hand, but also some tension on the other that is starting to build. And so Jesus returns to Nazareth. And while it might seem strange to us that he would be rejected, that he would be without honor in his hometown, I think Jesus knew as he was coming here that something was, was brewing. There was something that was going on. The truth that our text wants to point us to today is this is that because Christ embraced rejection in his life and in his ministry and on the way to the cross, we too, as Christians, are called to embrace rejection as we witness to Christ in a broken and fallen world. And this just seems really strange for us. I mean, again, we don't tend to think of our lives in terms of rejection. The world on the outside tells us success, acceptance, and wins are what makes it possible to live the good life. Jesus makes it very clear rejection is at the very heart 
of the Christian life. And so I think before we talk about how to embrace rejection, what that exactly looks like, I think we'd be wise to talk about what embracing rejection is not. You know, we, we all have our own individual lives. We go to work, we have families, we, we do all these, these things. And, you know, we uh, you know, have to embrace rejection in a way that is not confrontational, uh, that, that is not what embracing rejection is all about. It, it's not about being insensitive towards others and perhaps what they believe or what they think, how they live. It's not about that. No, embracing rejection, first of all, means that we should realize that opposition is all around us. As we look at Our text for this morning, Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? Um, Jesus comes to Nazareth again as he's been in and around Galilee. He's done a lot of his work uh, near and around Capernaum. Nazareth is, is not too far from there. But he goes to his hometown, really an unexpected place, one would think, or at least we would think, in terms of, of a place that would reject him. An unexpected place at an unexpected time. I mean, the Sabbath is a time for worship, for rest, and for celebration, <laughs> An unexpected situation. And so it calls to mind for us, what, what exactly are there, I mean, are there places or times or situations or people perhaps that we try to avoid so that we won't feel or be rejected as we go and we live according to our faith, as we witness to Christ you know, again, I think Jesus was very aware what was going to happen in Nazareth, and yet he still went there anyway. He still went there anyway. I can't help but think of our friend Effie Timbon, who came just a few weeks ago and, and told us about his wonderful ministry of, of uh, translating and bringing the Word of God to the people of Cameroon. How many rejectionable situations do you think that he's embraced in his life and in his ministry? Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure if we got to talking to him, there would be stories that really, really wowed us. Just in his life about people and situations and places where he's been that have perhaps rejected him in a sense. But yet knowing that his ministry, his mission, still carries on. Secondly, embracing rejection calls us to simply live as we're credentialed. The text continues, Where did this man get these things, they ask? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? 
aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. The people of Nazareth had the privilege of really knowing who Jesus was. They knew that he was a carpenter and that he had these brothers and sisters thinking that it was those things that defined him, that defined his mission and defined his identity. And in a way, they're kind of right. You know, Jesus didn't try to just completely disregard himself as a carpenter, as someone who, who, who built things for people, for his family. He didn't try to just throw that away, thinking that it wasn't important. And I think we would be wise to remember that in the context of, of our vocations, in our jobs, and in our work, in our relationships, that we're simply called to live as we're credentialed. We're not called to be perfect in our speech. We're not called to be absolutely perfect in uh, knowing perfect theology and being able to explain every nuance of Scripture. No, we're supposed to be living witnesses, just simply there, present for people as we bear witness to them, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a professor at Beeson who loves to remind us as students that um, Jesus never actually had his masters of divinity. Despite what we may think, he didn't have one. He didn't have that degree. He just happened to be the second person of the Trinity and the divine son of God. He he does like to to tell us that. Um, You know, again, we think in terms of, of credentials, I think, way too often. And simply just knowing whose we are and the purpose for which we've been given this life to bear witness to God as we follow Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is what is truly the important thing, one that Jesus certainly recognized. And thirdly, we're called to embrace rejection and we're to ensure that our person and our message match. If we look at John chapter 14 here, this is Jesus in the upper room trying to get his final words into the disciples. And it's Philip who asks, you know, pretty bluntly, hey, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. But Jesus says this, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been here among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, rather, It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus makes it clear that his identity was perfect with the Father. And of course, that means that his person, his message, match. And ultimately, it's up to the people at Nazareth to see this identity and to recognize it and to believe it, and yet they have trouble with it. 
It says there at the end of verse 3, and they took offense at him. Really, this is a, a pretty light way to, to put it. The Greek word here is scandalizanto, and it, it, it's the word that gives us scandal. Literally means Jesus scandalized just by his, his person, by his message. He caused others to fall away, perhaps causing to stumble. And yet, Jesus was, in one sense, okay with that. It's the same, the word used in Mark here, chapter 6, is the same root word in Greek that is used in 1 Corinthians one twenty-three. But we preach Christ crucified, and here it is, the scandal, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. Um, Jesus, Jesus knew his identity, and, and he was willing to embrace that. He was willing to live that message out and be who God had obviously called him to be. But fourthly, we should, I think, embrace rejection, and it calls us to acknowledge that not everyone will believe the message or the messenger. It's what's made clear here in our, our text, and Jesus just makes it very plain. A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. Um, Jesus simply presented himself to the people that were in his midst, that were there at Nazareth, and again, they didn't recognize him who he truly was, even though they thought they did. And in thinking about embracing rejection, for us, it's not about, again, it's not about the success, it's not about the wins. No, we trust that the Holy Spirit will do the work in and through us. The Holy Spirit will will do the work, and we should trust that that is indeed good enough. And so finally, embracing rejection calls us to continue the mission in word and in deed. I find it strange here, but pretty awesome in one sense that Jesus continues his mission. Mark makes a point of saying he could do no miracles there in verse 5. Well, except he lay his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. You know, the rejection that Jesus experienced in that moment didn't reduce, didn't diminish his authority. It didn't at all. And Jesus wasn't going to be defined by what we would think of as a difficult circumstance, coming back to his hometown. No, he continued his mission in word And indeed, he went around teaching them from village to village. And so it's a a difficult word. Um, We we don't think about embracing rejection as something natural, and it's not. But again, Christ shows us in his life that this is inevitably what the Christian life is going to 
be about. And again, the disciples needed to see this, and we too need to see this as well. Um, You know, God ultimately scandalized, scandalizes in order to save. He presented his son, Jesus Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, as the divine son, and said, here he is. Ultimately knowing, and for us believing that Christ's ultimate rejection on his way to the cross is good news for us. It is unbelievably good news. And so because Christ embraced rejection in his life, in his ministry, and ultimately on the cross, we have such a great hope in this life that we too may strive to to follow Jesus' example and to live as Christ did, embracing rejection, knowing that this won't happen in our own strength, but that it will only happen as we look to Christ and as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray together. Lord, we are thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are thankful, Father, for his example, but Lord, we are more thankful that Father, he took our place, that he went to the cross, that he embraced ultimate rejection. Lord, the people who praised him on Palm Sunday, Lord, were the people who rejected him on Friday, saying, crucify him. And so, Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us, Lord, when we look more towards worldly success, acceptance. Lord, help us to not avoid rejection. Help us to embrace it, Father, knowing that it fulfills your purpose, your mission for us. Lord, we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.